Welcome to the Frog Logic Podcast. I'm your host, David Rutt Rutherford, and we're back again with another Frogman episode. Uh, we've been doing a lot of these, and and you know what? I like to do it is because I have some really cool friends, man. I mean, these are people, when you think about what they've done for this country, uh, they have given so much, and the, and the appropriate word is sacrifice, right? Uh, what have people done in terms of their sacrifice to the country? And the, the, the guys I like to bring on, uh, they embody uh, what that means. And this guy today is someone that I am so fired up because we were in buds at the same time, oh, about a thousand years ago, it seems like, uh, with class 208. Now, 208 was my... Uh, third class I was in. Yep, I hear you laughing. All those people out there who want to laugh at me uh, for my uh, long buds career, I should say. But uh, I met Will uh, when we were in class uh, 208 together. Uh, we went through Hell Week together. Uh, he is a phenomenal human being. Now, unfortunately, after uh, buds, as it typically does, we went our separate ways, and uh, I never saw Will again for quite a while until he recently got out after 26 years of service. Now, uh, Will's done a, a truckload in the teams. You know, he taught sniper school. He deployed tons of times around the globe with a bunch of different teams. And, you know, he is uh, truly committed as a, a frogman, uh, but also as a, a, uh, an expert in terms of performance and most especially recovery. And that's why I really wanted to bring him on. This is a guy with 26 years of service at the highest level under his belt. So he understands the incredible aches and pains and just the debilitating nature of what hardcore service within the soft community does. Now, if you don't understand what that looks like, man, you're going to enjoy this show. We talk a lot about going through training. We talk a lot about what recovery means. We talk a lot about uh, interpretation of, 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 of performance. And, and this is one of those great performance-based shows that I like to deliver every now and then. Um, you know, one of the things about Will that you'll dig is as he's gotten out, like all of us, he's trying to find his pathway and, uh, along with, uh, myself. And I think, uh, more importantly, some others in terms of, uh, uh, Ray Cash, the, the, the honorable Ray Cash, who is an animal in every right. And I'm, uh, looking forward to, I'm going to bring him on here to my, to Frog Logic podcast as I have intended to do so for years uh, now, but, uh, um, we're going to get him on here soon. Um, but you know, one of the things that, you know, he introduced Will to is, you know, getting out and, and becoming an entrepreneur, a vetrepreneur, which is a, a profound space. And there so many of my friends have done such amazing things out there from Evan Hafer at Black Rifle to Sean Ryan at Vigilance Elite. I mean, the list is long and Ray Cash and, and Jason Redman and, uh, just so many people out there that are doing just great things for uh, civilization and, and our society as a whole uh, based on what we learned in the teams. Now, uh, you know, Will has gone on to found uh, Naked Warrior Recovery, uh, where he sells all different types of uh, CBD um, uh, information. And if you go over to his uh, website, which is nw-recovery.com that's nw november whiskey-recovery.com 
uh, you can find a whole slew of products that he's got. Now, he sent me this uh, a bunch of these a little while. I've been using the green formula, the, the super greens, which is incredible. Love that. I've been using the, the concentrated, the orange citrus tincture, uh, a concentrated oil every morning and every night. And we've been using the salve. Uh, John has had uh, some pretty bad tennis elbow recently, and uh, we put the salve on there, man, and it, it seems to be uh, working really well. So check out his his uh, website at, again, nw-recovery.com. But, uh, man, I'm telling you, you guys are going to love Will. He's got this great positive attitude. Uh, I, I believe he's absolutely in running and, and probably could be labeled as a hand grenade of positivity like yours truly. Um, but more than that, he's just a, a, a really interesting intellectual human being that is uh, focused on, on doing good and really trying to figure out uh, what's next in his life. And that's why uh, we brought him on to have a great conversation. Now, before we do that, I just want to quickly mention our sponsor here at the Frog Logic Podcast as well, uh, our partnership with MyMedicalImages.com. Now, that's uh, MyMedicalImages.com. Now, think about it. What are the most important images that you and your family have? Uh, besides your, your, your personal images of the history of, of your kids and fun events and special days and retirement ceremonies and all that, well, I'm here to tell you those most important uh, images are your medical images, your MRIs, your x-rays, your CAT scans, uh, your mammograms, uh, your dental work, hell, uh, um, your, your brain scans if you're suffering from operator syndrome or TBI. Uh, my Medical Images is a company that is going to become the most ubiquitous medical image company in the world, I'm telling, because we're already in 26 countries around the world. Now, if you go to MyMedicalImages.com, you'll understand when, when you look at it there, you'll basically go, oh, I get it. They're like the Instagram for medical images, and that's exactly what we are. And on our platform, which is HIPAA protected, by the way, uh, everything is HIPAA protected, uh, and we're also registered with the FDA, um, and we have patented technology. This is not just a, a whipped-together website. This is patented technology that can handle the magnitude of the very large DICOM files that you utilize when you go and you get an image, a medical image. Now, I also recognize that you know if you do and you have a lot of images, you have a ton of CDs, and this is what's crazy, and, and this is why we started this company is because uh, you know, or I should say why they started the company and then I'm, I want to be a part of it is because they recognize this technology is 30 years old, man. It's way old. And, and, and there was this huge gap. And so our founder, uh, Dan Hodgman decided to, you know, he was going to fix the solution. And, uh, man, we have some amazing things brewing, uh, right now. I mean, just some incredible relationships. We just announced a relationship with the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. That's 39,000 orthopedics across the country are now able to have a, a, a free medical image account for their patients and them, uh, as well as uh, we're partnering up with some very other significant groups that will be announced within the next 60 to 90 days, which will blow you away. Um, but really where we're, we're, we're most excited about is to put the power back into your hands. No more CDs, no more ordering CDs, no more nothing, no more walking around if you have a ton of medical images in, with some 1999 or 98 college CD case holder. No, 
every single one of your images and your images of your family can be in the palm of your hand. Now, if you want to check it out, go to mymedicalimages.com. And if you want a free account for a year, just go to it. When you type in, type in the promo code FROGLOGIC and you will get a one year free subscription. Now, this normal subscription is about two bucks a month. Like it's uh, $29.95 a year. You will get a free year subscription to put all of your medical images in one place. Now, think about the next time. Uh, you go in and, and you just recently got knee operation and then two years later or a year later, or six months later, you go in and you need all those. Or let's say you get in an accident and you recently had surgery. Your doctors want to be able to see those images in real time to be able to understand what they're looking at in terms of old injuries versus new injuries, as well as a million other usages for this. So uh, take my word for it. This this is one of those devices that or one of those platforms that you absolutely need to have. Uh, so go on over, check out mymedicalimages.com. If you want to sign up for a free uh, one-year subscription, uh, type in promo code FROGLOGIC, and this offer will end June 1st, so get on it. All right, here we go. What do you think? Uh, let, we're about ready to bring on the man, the myth, the legend, uh, Will Branham. Hoo-yah! Hook up, book up, shuffle to the door, jump right out and count to four. Oh, come on. Is that, is that my? <laughs> you were in the front of the line. You were in the, one of the tallest dudes. I always had to run like right behind you and those big old picking sand up into my face, man. Come on. One, two, three, bro. four. How about that? One, two, yeah, three, yeah, four. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> personal favorite with uh, a Mr. I can't say his full name with, with, with Mr. D. And uh, when we would go by uh, the Coronado Hotel Dell and it would be uh, P-I-N-K-Y. Pinky is kinky and so am I. Do you remember singing that one, yep. dude? Yeah, yeah. Do you remember when we got shut down when we were doing the napalm sticks to kids ones and all that? Oh, dude, that, there were some pretty gnarly ones that we would do. Back yeah. down. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, Brother, maybe, it's yeah. so good to see your face. It's good to be here. Yeah, man. It's so crazy. And just for the listeners, uh, William and I had not spoken in probably 25 years. Uh, and then, uh, and we we connected briefly a little bit through, you know, social media and LinkedIn and stuff. And then, and I started paying attention to what you were doing, but then it was a friend of ours, uh, Brenda, um, lovely Brenda, who connected us once again through, she thought we might have some strategic in uh, interest going on with some companies and stuff. So that was the first time I'd really gotten to chat with you in 25 years, man. And it, I yeah, can't that was it. great. Such was a blessing. Awesome. Yeah, very cool. Well, well all right. So, so thanks I for wanna, bringing me on here so we uh, can actually chat and have like uh, a real conversation. Like a normal one, right? Where where yeah. we can really get into kind of the nuance of performance, the nuance of the human condition, as you've been able to understand it and and really uh, uh, experience it af after 26 years in the team and now as a, a civilian. Um, and so I think I want to dive right in. I want to jump right in and ask you what you think about the border crisis going on in Texas right now. I'm just kidding, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Like, oh, I'm not, I'm not quite prepared for that one. <laughs> <laughs> Forget all I that, dude. I don't, I don't know what I don't know. So, <laughs> all right. The one I know, this is what I want to start with, dude, is, is if you remember, because you were in Boku One, right? In Hell Week. 
I was in Boat Crew 3. Boat Crew 3? So Boat Crew, oh, that's right. You were the two below. So you three and four, and then it was one and two. So I was, I was in two, right? Do you remember uh, the night we got steel peered on well, Tuesday night? No one, no one remembers Steel Pier because it's not, not, not eventful. It's very so, boring. All right, all right. So let me rephrase the question. Do you remember Doug Scholin and Corey Knowles? Yes. <laughs> and do you remember the brutality yes. <laughs> that they would deliver on our class? Scholin did not like anyone, I feel like, <laughs> at all, ever. What do you think that was? Do you think it was just, was that an act or was it, was it a team guy being angry that there weren't in a platoon and they wanted to just deliver some hate? So this is what I kind of gleaned from it is that uh, when Sholin was a proctor uh, classes before, um, you know, that was his first time being, uh, you know, a, a buds instructor and a proctor and that class just got, they, apparently they couldn't do anything right. And so he wanted to make sure that the following classes didn't, you know, suffer from the same, I don't know, uh, stupidity, debilitating ignorance. <laughs> yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Um, he's like, I, you know, you're going to my seal teams and you're not going to be a bunch of idiots when you get there. You, if you don't need to be here, we're going to make sure you leave something along those lines. Right. What, what I always so, found interesting was, you know, this and when, you know, now hindsight's 2020 and you're able to kind of look back and, and I'd be very interested to, to hear uh, your opinion as because you were able to witness kind of the massive transition from pre 9-11, right, where we went through, where it was really kind of, um, you know, the there had been desert storm for 100 days. <laughs> there was right. there was Panama and. Well, I remember when, uh, what was it? It was like, uh, I think it was team two or team eight had done, they'd blown up some bridge in Bosnia or something yep. like that. My buddy, Andy and, and that crew. And, but that was it, man. There was, there was no, like maybe a little skirmish, a little gunfight, maybe something. And, and I think that mentality really permeated into the teams and into training, if you will. So, you know, it was almost like we're going to beat you down, not in preparation for war, but we're going to beat you down just to beat you down. And and it was kind of more of like that badge of honor that if I can withstand this program, then that kind of earns you in. But I, I think, you know, what what definitely happened and, and I want to ask you this is, is did you notice the significant shift? Did you really see? You know, as of because your first deployment would probably have been ninety nine. I'm willing to bet yeah, right around there, around there, yeah, right around yeah. there. So your first, you would have a, a full blown deployment. I did one before nine eleven too. What was the mentality like during that time? So something weird happened right around that same time. And we, we shifted the way that we were doing business. So we went to Force Twenty One. You know, we had you know where each SEAL team had their own area of operation. They're like, you know, specialty, you know, linguist. And, you know, they went back to the same area every time and uh, every time they deployed. And sometimes you'd get two, three, 10 pumps and with the same, with the same group of guys. And then this thing called force 21 happened where they completely changed everything in the past. You know, the, the, the seal teams 
ran their own training department. And when that went away with force 21, where we had a centralized training department where we just pulled guys. Like I watched it happening. I was teaching sniper school at the time and I watched, you know, all these, uh, um, you know, all these warrant officers and master chiefs, they were just like, all right, he's a good guy. We'll put him there. He's kind of a turd. We'll put him here. And I was like, what is happening? Like people were, um, it was, it was surreal to watch and it took a long time to sort of, um, it, to, to, to get where it was going. And it was, it was also interesting that the, the East coast, you know, the Admiral said, Hey, make force this force 21 thing happen. And the East coast said, Roger that. Carl Hines said, we're going to make that happen on the West coast. I don't know who the Commodore was. He was, they were like, whatever, dude, we're just going to keep going doing but like that Admiral is going to leave and we're just going to keep, you know, status quo. And then I remember I was at some headquarters meeting and everyone and like the East coast was like, this is what we've done, you know, to this point. And the West coast was like, we haven't done any of that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, had, you know, had Carl Hines not, you know, push the agenda, things probably would still be exactly the same as they were back then. So, but what happened is we started deploying into combat, you know, first Afghanistan and then to Iraq. It's amazing how many Americans don't know which war happened first. Like they don't know that we've been at war in Afghanistan for almost 20 years. Right. Um, that we went to Afghanistan first uh, and then we went to Iraq. Um, but, you know, I think, that shift to this force 21 model was it certainly everything costs something. So, um, but what you ended up having is you had the same training curriculum taught to every seal platoon instead mm-hmm. of like whatever, you know, this guy that's in training thinks that this is good. And, you know, at, at seal team eight, but at seal team four, they think this is the right way to do IADS or this is the right way to do CQC, you know, East coast, West coast, it, you know, eventually it all came to really one general, uh, set of, you know, tactics, techniques, and procedures. And then as the war changed, we were able to, to navigate that and redirect and, uh, and, and really become a, a better fighting force, really more disciplined in what our TTPs were, you know, on the East coast, we were right down the road from, from damn neck. So we were able to kind of get those newer TTPs earlier and implement them. And then they would, you know, move over to, to the West coast, but, you know, also sending guys over to augment, the, you know, those, those squadrons deploying also helped to bring, you know, more knowledge and, and, uh, and really educate the force to a level that it has never been, never been met before. Right. And I mean, cause I was in that, you know, I was in that first collective class where STT combined both coasts and I, and we had like, tw- we had oh. 72 guys in that class and it was, it was a lot of fun, but it, it, it was, a you know, it was the beginnings and this is when, you know, they would really come in and, and uh, Master Chief Wagner and some other guys were, were really pushing this whole thing and they were developing the curriculum. And I remember we went through and it was it was only like 15 weeks or something like that. Now it's up to what it's up to uh, 40 like three months weeks. or something. Yeah, yeah it's, it's like, like, yeah, it's like, it's 40, like what? Yeah, it's like 40. They're getting, weeks. you know, static line and free fall and they're going up to Alaska for a month and like yep. doing like survival stuff up there. And I'm like, Dude, what? Really? I've never done a block of training in Alaska. It wasn't until (laughs) at the headquarters element, you know, doing procurement for like all like body armor and, and, you know, uh, night vision goggles and, uh, cold weather clothing. I went up there to do a bunch of different, um, 
uh, sort of R and D for different like fabrics and technologies and stuff for, for new, you know, combat clothing apparel. Oh, that's awesome. That's that, that would have been a killer job, man. I would have loved to have that. There was um, a lot of staff work involved, but it, it was like, I'm like, I'm, we, and I was even more motivated to do it because, you know, I'm going back to a SEAL team and I want to get the, you know, the best equipment to myself really at the end of the day, like all the guys that I'm going to work with and work for and work, I, you know, be a part of, you know, I want to make sure that we have the best technology that we can on, on the battlefield. And I, you know, I remember dude freezing so many nights just like, you know, in a cotton uniform with like a poncho liner and a poncho. You're like, whoopie, you're your yeah. poncho liner, man. The most Misery. valuable piece of yeah. gear in, in, in any SEAL <laughs> team loadout, right? I, I, and what's interesting is, is, you know, war will always kind of clean up an organization or get rid of it, essentially. Right. And, and, you know, my first my only combat deployment in the teams was, you know, in the summer of 2002, right after team three, team one went in, we went in, I went in with them. And, and I just remember like it all being so new, right. it was all, you know, everything was new. We were trying to figure it out as we were going. It was new environments. We, you know, we had had a little bit of desert warfare and stuff, but everything was kind of evolving in real time. And then, you know, when I came back from that, I remember coming back, to ST, SQT, I was an instructor at the time and, and really kind of debriefing Bruce Cunningham and Mike Lou and saying, hey, this is kind of what's going on. And, you know, it wasn't like we, we had a huge deployment at all. I mean, very minimal comparative to a lot of other guys out there. But, but it was just like, hey, this is a different thing. We need to start focusing on some different stuff a little bit. What I'm asking, what I'm wondering with you is, is when did you really see all right, the, the, what was happening downrange really shift training in real time. Like a platoon would come back after, let's say, Fallujah, Ramadi, and, and all of a sudden you have this, this laundry list of TTPs. How quickly could those get implemented? Uh, so those were – so the way that we did it is – about six months through a deployment, a team would come out and do basically a, a mid-month after-action review. And they would, you know, just gather TTPs, you know, the way things, you know, do interviews with a bunch of guys, you know, with leadership down to like the, you know, the, the E4 and the platoon. And, you know, they would compile all of these, uh, these new TTPs that go, they'd go back to, to the training department. And then they would start building and implementing and it was just a constant evolution. Um, That's cool. Of, That's really cool. Of like tactics, you know, TTPs or, you know, maybe focus on, you know, this is something that we weren't prepared for or, you know, so we're able to like start training the next task unit, the next platoon, the next team, you know, as they're like getting their work up, getting ready to come to whatever this location is um, to do this mission and, and, uh, and yeah, and, and, you know, so one of the things that was interesting is, you know, depending on what mission you're doing, you may be, you know, out alone and unafraid, you know, living in a village in, in Afghanistan, like living with the locals, you're completely self-sustaining or you're, you know, you have like all these assets in Baghdad where you've got like multiple layers of technology overhead, uh, and support helping you locate your, your bad guy. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the, you know, we, we always go come back to the basics and then we, 
we go and we, we do specialty training on whatever these different scenarios are. So if I'm like living in a village in, in Afghanistan, you know, I want to make sure that I, my, I want to make sure that I know how to use mortars. I know how to use AWs. I know how to use like all these other tools that I don't need, you know, in an urban, right, right, right. Like it's completely different. So you have to like train for what you're going to go do. But, um, but yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, the basics shoot, move and communicate are all pretty much, pretty much dialed in. And then you just have to, you know, do micro adjustments or sometimes macro adjustments depending on the mission. But, you know, as long as you have a solid foundation, then you can accomplish whatever the, whatever the mission is. That That's awesome. And, and, and that, you know, it's always what I think it's, it, you know, everybody really, when you ask people, do you know what we do for a living? People have no idea. They don't understand no. the detail that in, is involved in, in, in all the layers of not only being able to do the mission, but everything that leads up to it, what goes into it and then what after. So, but, but what, what everybody does understand is, is that it takes a while for a force to catch up to what the battlefield is, 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 is telling you is the ground truth. When do you remember on a personal level, as well as an operational level from a platoon perspective or even task unit perspective that we had caught up and that y- you were, you were, you were good to go on that battlefield. And I know that's a broad spectrum, but, but you, you, you had the advantage. You felt as competent as you'd ever felt going down range and doing the mission, not only by yourself or yourself, but with your platoon. When, when did you feel that? So I think, I think I would say in Iraq, Fallujah, 2007. Um, So I'd I'd already done a few deployments and I was actually not in a platoon. I was the ops senior enlisted. And, you know, so I was working in in the sort of headquarters element while deployed, you know, passing information back and forth. It is the most unsexy job uh, (laughs) that that you could possibly have. And, you know, anytime the platoon or the task unit needed support, I'm of course, like I've got my hand written. I'm like, hey, I'm right here. I I will hold security. I will drive. I whatever you want. I don't need to kick doors. There's, you know, I just want to be out there. I just want to be a part of this number. (laughs) I just want to. And so, um, so we came in, we, you know, we, we took down some houses and I'm moving through the, through a house with, with another, really another admin seal, uh, part of the task unit who did the whole workup with the platoon, with the, with the task unit. Um, but really he was like, you know, he was, a uh, he was a prior enlisted guy. He was a young officer now. And, you know, I remember we're somehow he and I are the only two seals and we had a bunch of Marines around and whatever. And so we're clearing this building and like we come to a doorway where we need to like do a barrel nod and, and enter and like all none, no comms, no communication, you know, that, you know, slow and smooth and like no talking is even better. Um, and I didn't know if he knew what I knew <laughs> and he didn't know if I knew what he knew. Like we're all seals. We all do like, whatever. Yeah. But it yeah. was, and I was like, I don't know if he knows what I'm saying right now. Cause I didn't go through this last block of training. Yeah. I was doing, you know, the admin ops stuff. And so I gave him the, 
the the barrel wave. I'm like, I, someone's got to initiate this. So let's see if he knows. We're or we're just going to be a couple of clowns coming through this door, and hopefully we don't get shot. <laughs> so I give him the barrel wave. He gives it back, and then we, you know, we bust the room and we go do whatever we do. And yeah. um, and I was like, oh, that was awesome. I like like I felt good about my own self, and he felt good about being next to me, someone who hadn't done the you know the workup with him because I you know, and then and then later on he told the XO he was like, dude, we'll is like he like like he's totally legit in the battlefield and this and that and whatever and like he's like whatever he he gave me like props that i didn't know he was giving me i was just like i hope he knows what i'm doing because yeah 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 or i'm just gonna go off what he does so um like that was the moment that i was like okay i i know what i'm doing because you know a lot of times i have imposter syndrome <laughs> me too brother um and and a lot of us do and like am i really qualified to do whatever i mean i am i know i am but i you know whatever i have like it's 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 a hurdle that i've had to like struggle with pretty much my entire life oh my and, god i had it when we were going through buds man i i mean i'd be next to i mean your boat crew with with the guy you had at the lead there was like you guys were the 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 premier boat crew and and i'm like i i I'm not as good as those dudes are, you know, what, what am I doing here? And I'm, you know, meanwhile, I'm sitting next to, to Rob O'Neill and I'm sitting next to, uh, 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 who else was with me? Um, Oh God, I don't want to tell their names. Cause I think some of them are still in, but you know, uh, Jeff and, and Bing and, and all these other dudes. Right. Yeah. And, and these are pipe hitters, man. And I'm like, God, I'm not as good as these guys. I, I felt right. that my whole career too, man. You know, I, like in my, it, this was weird. Like, you know, Boat Crew 3, we were all average at best. Like we were not, there's not a performer. I mean, Chuck Thornton was good. He was a good runner. Like yeah. he ran across Panama. Yeah. Crying out loud. He was a stud. Quiet, quiet professional. But like, you know, he's not, he doesn't like stand out in, you know, something wasn't like an Olympic swimmer or something. Total, total stud. And I like, I yeah. went back and I found like the boat, the picture of, 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 you know, our Hell Week boat crew. And I was like, like no one here, like one guy didn't even graduate. Oh, very nice. Very nice. Like one, one guy didn't even graduate. We called out, uh, five huh what'd you say i like one one guy in the boat crew didn't even graduate are you kidding me no no oh, wow wow he got kicked out for it was mistaken identity and that was like something i wish i could go back in time and like maybe try to help but i'm just trying to get through this program my own self mm -hmm. uh because we had these singaporeans we're in third phase we're on the island singaporeans they were like you know skipping the obstacles and stuff and there was a brand new master chief that just rolled into third phase and he was out there and he was like He's like, you, you skipped an obstacle. And newcomer's like, no, I didn't. I, no, I didn't. He's like, no, you're, you have no integrity. You have no whatever, blah, blah, blah. And they kicked him out. I and I that. wanted, like, and I was like, are you kidding? No way. That can't be. Um, but yeah, they, they gave him the boot. And, uh, and that was his second time to Bud's. Yeah. And I ran into him again when I went back to do some training at Nylon from the East Coast. And I went by the Bud's compound and he was back at Bud's again. I was like, good for him. Did he, Maybe make, it make, it. Did he make I don't, it I don't, I don't think he did. I don't know oh, what, the, what the issue was, but I'm like, Dude, you're a hard him. man. And, and if I could go back in time, you know, I would like go to bat for him if that means anything. But I was like, dude, no one's going to listen to me, but I know that this guy, like, you know, but so going back to that boat crew in hell week, you know, it was, we didn't, 
we weren't like great performers. And I was certainly, I think the, the slowest and weakest of the crew because I was injured the whole way through yeah. gimping along. Um, but you know, it's, you know, it sucks. Hell week sucks. You know, budget's fun, but it sucks, you know, but do you want to be, do you want to suck in the back or do you want to suck in the front? Do you want to suffer? Where do you want to suffer? You know, suffer yeah. in the middle. Yeah. 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 And, and that yeah. was like something and for how long? To learn. Yeah. Right. Because you know what? It, it, you, you can be done, you know, two minutes earlier. And I'm, I'm grateful for that two minutes of, of rest that I get. Um, so, well, that yeah. was one of the things for me is that just the camaraderie is really what enhanced performance, right? Is, yeah. is if your boat crew came together and started working well in, in those nonverbal ways, right? That you just, the implied task or support or just a little pep talk or just something is like, getting three inches closer to your buddy whose, whose neck is like this and you take the weight form for, you know, half the run over to wherever or whatever it is, you right. know, those are the little things. And I think, you know, that the description of what you were saying about in Iraq was, is the same mentality, right? That if you can establish a baseline performance level that will be required, it permeates across, um, you know, um, different experience levels, uh, different, uh, different uh, platoons, different coasts, different whatever. And that was, I think, what is really made us, I believe, and, and you know, I, I left early, so I'd love to understand your perspective. On it. Is that the thing that enabled our community to maintain um, not only the, the, the stress of the op tempo that we have for the last 20 years, but also the successes that we've had for the last 20 years is because of that performance mentality. Yeah. So, you know, you kind of alluded to it earlier, pre 9-11, we weren't going into combat. We weren't doing anything. But we were going to TQ2. It, right. <laughs> but, uh, um, but the mentality at the SEAL team was, you know, you show up and you have, you know, two mile ocean swim on Monday, you know, Tuesdays, a whatever, five mile run, Wednesdays, calisthenics and, and a run and Thursdays, whatever. And Fridays, like a monster mash and whatever. So it's, you know, we always, the, it was the, um, the culture, the culture of the team of that environment of like the pride of ownership of just being the best. What were we the best of? I don't know. <laughs> you know, pre nine 11, but we were, you know, we, we had a, a discipline that was required or a, a disciplined culture. Um, you know, we would still do stupid stuff. Um, but you know, when it came down to doing the job, we did it to failure and then we pushed beyond that. That's awesome. And that was, and that was in, and I think that's really the foundation that has created success in the SEAL teams you know, even, you know, my 2005 deployment, we did, you know, a full workup to, you know, we wanted to go to Afghanistan. That's where the fight was. That's where, you know, I, many of us had been to Afghanistan before. And, um, and then when it came time to, someone had to go to Iraq and do, you know, security for the interim Iraq, Iraqi government mm -hmm. babysitting. And the <laughs> other people got to go to, uh, to Afghanistan. And the CEO, and I was like, dude, my, my platoon can crush any platoon here. And it wasn't me. It wasn't my leadership. It wasn't, it was like, I 
literally had the best guys. There were other good guys in other platoons. They were really good. Um, and they've gone on to do amazing things. But the team that I got lucky to be a part of and, and lead, they like we like the training cadre were like, this is the, the platoon that needs to like whatever, do go into harm's way and do like whatever. And <clears throat> so the CEO was like, check this this security job, this PSD is a no fail mission. We cannot fail. So I have to put my best foot forward. Uh. So so uh, guess what? Guess what, Gulf Platoon? You're going to Iraq to do PSD. And I was like, oh. Uh, yes, sir. <sighs> Roger. Like, all of us, we knew that we were going to Afghanistan. We knew what we were going to do. We were, like, already, like. Wow. And so, it, so and, and it's, not, it's a, not a sexy mission at all. Well, let me ask um, you, let me just interrupt real quick. I want to, I want to ask, how did you, if, I mean, could that be a, a, a tremendous morale hit for your team, for your, your platoon? How did you get them to shift focus and say, Hey, listen, we still have a mission. This is the mission. This is the top mission that we're being asked to do. How do you get them? Cause I know if I was a young E5 or E4 in, in your platoon and you just told me you're not going to war, you're going to babysit, you know, whomever I'd be like, you know, go blank yourself. Will. you know, right. this, this sucks, man. And, and I did a lot of that. I was a bitch and sailor. Unfortunately, I wish I hadn't done as much of it, but, but that's just the way it is. How, what did you do? How did you, from a leadership perspective, redirect their focus? So that was tough. Uh, but really at the end of the day, it, it came down to, you know, I had to use other examples. So Dan Neck, they had done other um, a ton. security security missions uh they I, a bunch, were yeah. in some 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 gunfights doing that mission and really i had to kind of focus it around like all right hey this is what we're doing uh let's get in and i would like have guys go in read after actions and you know and and do the best i could to get the best training that we could get you know because you know driving uh doing some off-road driving is pretty cool you know, uh, doing some of the, some of the high speed driving that, that we got to do to prepare for that was pretty cool. So we're doing some pretty cool stuff. We already know that we can outperform the other, other platoons, at least two out of the other three. Right. Um, but so we just tried to, it, it became again, going back to that pride of ownership, like pride of mission, like, Hey, we're still the best. We're still going to crush it. And when we got overseas, there's still opportunity to uh, get in a gunfight because that's what every young frogman wants to do. He wants to go over there and he wants to prove that he's, you know, worth his salt. Um, and, you know, and there were plenty of other security forces getting into contacts, you know, getting in, you know, being ambushed or whatever. And some made it out and some didn't. And so, you know, we went over there like, hey, man, you got to like, this is our job. And when I can, I will cut you away and send you over to work with the other SEAL platoons that are actually, you know, kicking doors and doing that other stuff. So, you know, dangle that carrot of like actually doing actual SEAL work uh, with, you know, keep maintaining that pride of ownership, that pride of like, dude, we're going to be better at this than any other platoon. So, you know, it, it was like, you know, my, you know, that my boat crew here in during hell week, it's you either suffer in the front or you suffer in the back. Yeah. Man. So, um, so, and so another really cool thing that happened. So every frog man, every young team guy, they want to grow a beard and long hair and like be disheveled or whatever. <laughs> and so when we got over there, 
there were all these Blackwater guys and Triple Canopy guys, and they were like a bunch of idiots out there. I'm not saying that hey, you were an idiot. Hey, but I'm not saying. I was. I'm just I saying. Was. I was. Um, and with their long hair and their shirts untucked and like beards, and they just look scraggly, and they had like 17 Sig mags around their their belts, and like, and I'm like, what in the hell? And so, of course, my guys were like, See hey, the can samurai we have swords. Yeah, like what the hell? So they're like, <laughs> hey, can we have relaxed grooming standards? Like before we left, and I was like, yeah, I'm just, not, I'm not gonna talk about that. I'm gonna like we're focus on like some other stuff. And then like, we're on the ground, like not even two days. And my guys came to me and were like, hey, we don't actually want relaxed grooming standards. We like, we want to tuck our shirts in. We want to whatever, because we don't want to look like those guys. Yeah, yeah. And it again, it came back to that like pride of ownership, pride of self. Like we don't want to look like the the crazy Slaps. contractor security Absolutely. guys who are just like running around like, because they're so super cool with their 5.11 gear. And, and like we were wearing 5.11 too, because it was the only... <laughs> <laughs> the only, the only, the only thing out there. At the time, yeah. No, I, I hear you, man. I, it, it was a struggle for me, you know, when luckily my first contract with Blackwater, I, it was just me and another team or actually me and two other, another two other team guys. And we were in Azerbaijan for, you know, 10 months and, and it, we were, you know, dressed nice. We looked squared away every day. And then my next thing I'm in, uh, go to Afghanistan, you know, training the counter drug commandos. And then I was running a building project for the Afghan border police and the guys I were working with, you know, from every different year. And it was like a clown show, man. I mean, this right. showing up unprepared, nobody had their shit squared away. And I was just like, God, this is debilitating, man. And, right. and, and it really was the wake up call. Uh, for me going, God, I really miss the teams. Although, you know, I hated some of the, the, the repetitiveness of the teams, you know, that goes back to the mentality that if you can, you know, repetition works and if you can perform the basics, the basics is close to perfection. It doesn't matter what environment you go in. And, and, and that's what also hones in on the cultural uh, connectivity that is required under duress. And so, you know, I, I, I want to ask you, when, when did it become, and this is the reason as you were talking about that and things being real, you know, and, and people getting into contacts and not coming out of them, you know, for me, things got real, you know, I, I'd done the Advon trip for the, my, that platoon that went to Afghanistan at team one and, and Matt Bourgeois had been blown up at Tar Tarnak Farms right before and Matt was one of my sea daddies at team one when I showed up before he we went over to Damnick and really you know took me under his wing and really was an amazing guy and and I remember Matt died and for me I was just like whoa this is real man this is right. this is something that this is really this is this is ugly what, what was that moment for you uh where you're like holy god you know, we're not, not invincible. This is real. We need to really get folk, not as if you weren't focused, but you know how that, that feeling when you lose a friend for the first time, or, you know, uh, it's a team or some, you have this connection to it emotionally and it just like, it, it tightens everything up and everybody around you. So for me, it was further along. I, let's see, I'm, I'm, I have, uh, I, 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 I carry a lot of armor on, like, I don't, I compartmentalize a lot. Yeah. So I don't, uh, I don't ever want to show weakness or fear or anything like that. Um, because I was embarrassed 
that I would look weak or be rejected or whatever. I, I By the like way, barely... everybody listening, Will is huge and, and is a bad <laughs> motherfucker. So it's amazing that he's, you know, he's saying this. It's really, it's I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm barely hanging on to like being a part of the team or whatever. Like I barely got there. Uh, and I certainly don't want to go and I don't want to show any weakness ever. And, you know, I've, I have plenty of failures in my, in my, uh, pursuit of trying to be, you know, better than I was yesterday. And, um, and so even though, you know, guys were getting killed, I didn't let it bother me, but it wasn't until like we're deployed and, you know, now, you know, one of my guys isn't there anymore. Oh, wow. Like, holy shit. Like he just got blown up by like EOD guy was just going out to do EOD work, like kind of training. And then now he's gone or, you know, other guys that I maybe didn't, uh, he didn't, they didn't die in combat while I was deployed with them, but they went on to other things and then they were gone. Like what the holy shit, what the hell? Yeah. Um, like he was a stud. How did that happen to him? Like, these are like just these incredible people that, you know, I put on, you know, I just surround myself with people on pedestals and then they're gone. Like my phone, if I, I scroll through my phone contacts and there's, there are so many guys in there that aren't with us anymore. Wow. And I'm not deleting their number their or their name. It's like, you know, as I kind of scroll through there, I'm like, he was awesome. And it's like a little bit of like uh, me, like kind of appreciating the person that they were and the things that they did that made me better, you know, mm-hmm. and a lot of those guys worked for me oh, wow. and, you know, you know, for, for that, that platoon that was in, um, that we went and did, you know, the security work, like they were just studs and most of them went over to damn neck and, you know, many of them didn't come back mm-hmm. and, uh, for whatever reason. And, and so i so I still just sort of go through my phone every now and then. And I'm like, you know, have a, you know, a little more, um, uh, gratitude for just having the opportunity to know that person. Yeah, man. And, uh, so, yeah, man, I'll tell you what, every, every Memorial day, I, you know, with my four daughters, uh, we go over to the NSW foundation rule website where they have everybody listed. And, uh, we go around and we read every name. And, and then awesome. I go back and, and I, and I say, Hey, this is Jason Freewall. This is a, a really good friend of mine, a guy that was just this amazing human being. And, and, and you need to remember who he is uh, and, and why he, he passed. And, and it's just one of those things like you, you never, when you, when you take a step back, right. Because again, right. You're in performance. And I believe in elite performance, the compartmentalization is an, absolute requirement elite performers are masters at compartmentalizing things in particular their emotional intelligence right putting just putting that stuff up in that little corner in the rear part of your brain and just locking it up there and 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 driving on um but unfortunately what we're seeing and and thankfully we finally now have kind of a, a description for it in terms of calling it operator syndrome Thanks to Dr. Chris Free and, and some other people who wrote that paper and got it published. And now we, we understand that all of the things guys are going through, whether it's their TBI, the endocrine issues, sleep apnea, the stigmatisms, um, you know, post-traumatic stress, 
whatever, all these 14 different things that are listed there, um, we realize that that compartmentalization over long haul has, has some pretty profound effects as, as well as actually doing the job, the, 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 the impact, not just, just, just from going to breacher school alone that, right. Much less doing platoon after platoon after right. platoon or whatever it is, all those things, they have a compounding effect. And was there a time in, in the last, you know, in your in, entire, your service where everybody guys in the platoons or senior level guys like yourself, where you guys started looking around going, Hey, there, there's some broken dudes out there. What we, we need to address this. When did that happen, really? When did you start feeling that happen in, in NSW? So the, I think the leadership, uh, much higher leadership than me, uh, picked up on it pretty quickly. So I remember there was a, a deployment where SEAL Team 2 came back and you had like six guys in a row get DUIs. You wow. had like, um, you know, all sorts of like people getting in fights, people doing like crazy unprofessional things like, Hey, you know, that you, you're not supposed to do this. This is not, you know, this is not who you are or what we expect you as a, as a professional. Um, you just went and you did amazing work overseas. Yeah. Like you don't trust, like the amount of trust that we have in you right now is so incredibly high. And you just came back and you destroyed every bit of credibility that you had in like, you know, in one decision. Yeah. And so we were able to see that sort of compound across the force and, um, and, and, and try to address it. And that's kind of where the seal ethos and, and things like that came from was, you know, Hey, we have a, we have kind of a problem. We have these amazing elite performers that are just like, they come home and they start imploding. And, uh, and that was something that, you know, I don't know that I was mature enough to really see that at the time. Uh, you know, I, you know, I'm just trying to focus on myself and my platoon and my little group and like, try to like keep us, you know, in line as best as possible and, uh, and, and get, and to get ready to go. You know, I wasn't looking at the force, but you know, the force came back and said, Hey, we got some issues. Guys are going out, they're seeing some weird stuff. They're, you know, they're doing some cool stuff there, you know, but you know, there's, they may be compartmentalizing incorrectly uh, or focusing on the wrong things. And we, that's something that we got to fix. So. Yeah. I, I think that was like early. It's like 05, 06. Yeah. yeah. Right around Probably, there. Yeah. Right. After, after Fallujah Ramadi, I remember that that's where, and then after Red Wing, for sure. That was a, a, a pretty, yeah, we had a we had right? some we had some guys that were have uh, what do they call it uh, survivor survivor's guilt, some, yeah, something like yeah. that. And I mean, one guy we had to kick out of the navy. Like, hey man, we've we we've, we've tried to help you. You yeah. don't you clearly don't want the help. Um, it was like I should have been there and la la la. And he was a great performer. Like, yeah, but you know his uh, eventually he had to we had to like, hey man, we're gonna get you help, but you can't be in the SEAL teams anymore. Yeah. Well, what, one of those guys ended up, you know, he, he died of an accidental overdose two years ago. Uh, that was a part of that whole thing. And that? Uh, Gabe, did you ever know Gabe Cardi? No shit. Yeah. Yeah. Gabe was, I was his platoon chief. Yeah. I, I, oh man. I'm so sorry. Gabe was, yeah. I didn't know yeah. that. 
Yeah. I'm sorry, buddy. Um, yeah, Gabe, I met Gabe through, uh, Sean Ryan. Um, and, uh, you know, I met Sean as, as I put him through training and then didn't see him for 10 years, met him as a contractor right. downrange and, and then, um, got to know Gabe had moved to South Florida as well too. And Gabe was really struggling with addiction issues at that time and was in a really tough spot. And, and first time I met him, Sean had called me and said, Gabe is really struggling. Can you just come over and talk to him? So I went over and we chatted for like five hours, you know, and, and we're working together, but you know, he just couldn't relieve himself of the, the magnitude of, of not being there. Right. And, right. and, and, it, it just, it caught up. And so fast forward, he, you know, he'd got, he'd had a child, got clean. And then, uh, his, the, the daughter, his daughter's mother started withholding him and was, you know, threatening court and all this stuff. And he broke under the pressure, went out and he, what he used to do on a regular basis, he did. And, and this time I think there was either fentanyl in it or something like that. And it got him and it, it, it killed him. And, and I, you know, but it was always really, he could never escape the, the impact of that burden. He could never right. escape that he, he didn't die with his teammates, you know, and, and you, you know, you hear about this and then you, you, now all of a sudden you start to think about these guys and I'm sure you, you, you know, know guys that are still in that have what five, 600 combat missions under their belt. You know, what is, what is, the Navy do for uh, an individual that one, they've invested that much money into, but two is on their third divorce. You know, they're, they, they've got substantial orthopedic injuries. They've got significant, uh, TBI, you know, what is, what is, what did the, what did you see the Navy start doing to really kind of focus on this, to keep their operational force intact Right. And, and be able to create some type of recovery programs that that really benefited the guys and in, in, in keeping them operational and on the line. So so SOCOM started this this program to try and help guys decompress when they would come back from from a deployment. And, you know, what I the way I saw it as a guy coming back from a deployment, you know, they would, you know, take you and put you in like, you know, uh, some resort somewhere in Europe or something like that. And so, you know, while your family is back <laughs> there saying, when are you coming on home? Your eyes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and your family is like, what the fuck? Why are you not, you know, yeah. and, and, and beating you up. Like, and like, I don't, I don't need this. I need to hurry up and get home and get this, you know, get my wife off my back about like, you know, first off, she's pissed off that I'm deployed. And second, she's now, ultra pissed off that I'm like just lounging around and, you know, being going to, you know, resiliency training. And uh, yeah, so they did some of that to try to help give guys like some time to decompress before they came right. home. Uh, and then they tried to do some other stuff at home where they would like get a resort and bring the whole family in and do like, you know, some therapy and some uh, a little resilience training that way. Um, in it, they put a lot of money into it. I don't know that it was really relevant or useful. Um, I mean, it wasn't for me. Oh, it wow. was a fun, it was a fun getaway, but it, I did, I didn't find that it was really, um, 
it wasn't really that that useful immensely for, right yeah immensely yeah, beneficial for, right. for mental health and and sort of that whole recovery piece it was a nice they, little vacation did they have counselors that would go on these as well too and open sessions talk sessions or all that or is it just basically boondoggle i they did but um you know really from from my perspective is no one wants to talk to a counselor yeah, ever, man. not ever, not, not ever. Yeah. Um, because when you do, you start exposing something, you like let stuff out of that dark little place that you have it back here and you don't know if you can control it once it gets out. Mm-hmm. So, um, and you know, there's rules, like if you say certain things and now I have to like run that up to chain yeah. of command or right. whatever. So in, you know, maybe it's better to keep it buried and locked away. And, but that shit will come back out. Eventually. Oh God. Yeah, it has. How many of our friends? It'll either leak here? out or it will explode out. Right. Right. All right. Well, all right. So as you moved in, did you ever get an opportunity to go back and, and really kind of take uh, everything that you had learned in, in, in terms of performance, right. And then be able to really drill it down on the individual student level, like you had when you were a sniper instructor, did you get to do that after you had a bunch of platoons under your belt? So when, uh, so when I was a platoon chief and I hadn't done very many deployments, uh, maybe three. And <laughs> it's funny nowadays, like a- after that, it was like a lot of deployments to get to chief was like six, right? Right. right boom, yeah. boom. In our day it was like three and you're a chief you made it you yeah know? yeah and uh and then i'm like now I'm, I'm thrust into this position and i did you know the previous years i was at sdv you know little mini submarine so we didn't do cqc we didn't do any yeah. like you know our the the biggest uh, mo- um group of people that i was maneuvering around the battlefield was eight max number of people <laughs> right, right and we would watch like seal team like we would do mount training and our stuff was really more focused on recon and things like that or maybe you know a four-man team going into a building to like set up a an observation post or a sniper hide or something like that that was the extent of my cqc the extent of my mount training the extent of all of that stuff now wow. fast forward i'm at seal team 10 i had i'd already deployed to afghanistan and i you know did a bunch of combat you know clearances over there not having a really a clue what i was doing <laughs> Um, <laughs> you know, go, you know, in the middle of the day, you were like taking out, you know, entering buildings, entering rooms. And there's like all these like, you know, blankets covering and I like stumble in and I bump my head and I like my pistol falls out on the ground and I'm just a disaster. And I'm like, Oh my God, I really need to get my act together over here. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, just a few few months later, I am, am the platoon chief and I have these brand new guys that are asking me questions about CQC and all this other stuff. And I'm like, I don't actually know. So I had to do a bunch Uh-oh. of a bunch of homework where I like got with the training department and I'm like, hey, man, I don't know these. I don't know these. new. I didn't say I don't I've never done CQC before. Let's just not throw your whole self under the bus. But I'm like, hey, man, can you help teach me these new TTPs and things like that? And so what they did is they actually brought from the CO, the CMC, all the way down to all the, the leadership mm-hmm. in the task units and platoons because they changed the way that they were doing CQC. And we all went through like a couple of weeks of training our very own selves, like as the leadership. Yeah. And then we also did some, you know, some, uh, some maneuvering out in the field 
to, so that I was able to like learn like the basics so that I could answer questions. But what I would do is I would empower the other guys. I was like, Hey man, put, can you put on a thing? And, uh, you know, a little course running through the team, like get, get your guns out of the armory. And we're just going to like do dry runs, you know, single room entry, you know, center room, blah, 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 center door. Uh, and then, and then go from there. And then when we went to, uh, when we actually started doing CQC, I was able to, I'm learning my own self, but yeah. you know, by empowering other guys to take the lead on certain pieces of it, I'm just back taking notes, cool learning. And you know, that's how I really helped to refine, you know, my leadership really by asking questions, not by knowing everything, but asking, what do you think about this? And empowering the, the younger guys to really uh, either, ex- you know, be the expert at something and, um, or, you know, we would kill them and then let the next guy come up. And now you need to learn how to be the expert in this. And so by sitting, but not by, by being, being, deeply engaged in whatever that operation, whatever that TTP was, whatever that thing was, I was able to learn and, and really become uh, more because I was more hungry to learn my own stuff. Yeah, because yeah. now like, you know, when I, when I became a sniper instructor, when I was a sniper, I thought I knew everything about being a sniper. But when I went back to be an instructor, I had to like learn everything to the nth degree, because, you know, if I'm up there teaching, you know, range estimation, I need to be able to, answer 22 questions from 22 different people and know all the ins and outs of every nuance of it. So I wasn't, I didn't become a good leader. I didn't become a good sniper. I didn't become until I was put into those roles of leading or teaching or whatever. That's when I actually learned how to become an expert at something. I I think that same thing happened to me. I mean, I, I was, I think I was a decent seal right? I had, I had natural, I had good reflexes. I, I could, I was intelligent. I could understand information quickly. Uh, I, I, I had good body control, you know, I had good, uh, tactical understanding, but you know, but I was new. I didn't know. I didn't know anything. And, and then I became an instructor and man, that's where I learned, especially from the other guys that were senior guys that were instructors and just watching them and listening to them, you know, these guys that, you know, ultimately went on to become just, you know, Titans in the teams. And, and, and those are the guys that really kind of enhanced my ability to understand that power of, of performance, where it is about perfecting all the minutia of, of and mastering a skill set. It's, it's not just, yeah, I can get by, I get by real good, but you're, you're not a master at the skill. And, and if you master you, the basics, just yeah, those- man absolute, you know, it, it, it just sets you at a whole nother level. So I, I agree. I think, you know, but it, and it's funny, you're, you were put into that situation, not by your own desire, just because of the circumstances, right. But be, because of your go-getter mentality, you, you end up recognizing, Hey, I can, if I, if I expose myself and, and I'm willing to fail in training and willing to, you know, really accept and, and, and acknowledge what I don't know that, that it gets me there faster. Right. Yeah. All right. That's um, exactly right. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you this. All right. So at some point, obviously, you know, your, your door kicker career kind of wanes out. 
kind of does that did that affect you dramatically in terms of your contribution in the teams or did it sour you because you know a lot of times you see guys that either have catastrophic injuries and I know you had an injury on your bicep and you know is was that a, a hard situation for you or or did you realize all right it is what it is now I, I'm just going to refocus and be the best at whatever I'm doing now so I would if I could be back in the teams as an e5 kicking <laughs> doors I would do it right 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 now um That's so but awesome. uh <laughs> i i would yeah i yeah but for me um i recognized that i i i'm not going to be able to fill those roles whether it was you know either not doing that role because of family like all right spend some time behind a desk to try and you know build a relationship or whatever um but you also feel like uh a quitter, you know, like, Oh, or maybe I didn't, I didn't make the cut because I'm being shoved into like a, an admin role now. Uh, and like I said before, you know, anytime I was in one of these admin roles, sometimes I would look at it as a, a means to the next step where I get to like, you know, be lead men again. And, um, and so when I, when I was in those roles, it was awesome. But then I was also, you know, forced detailed into roles where, okay, you're going to the headquarters, and we, we don't really know what we need you to do out there, but you just need to go out there and, and do an awesome job. And I'm like, really? Okay. I'll up, lift my whole family and, you know, move everything out to, out to California. Right. Um, but, you know, even when I was in those sort of more senior roles in the, in the platoon or in the task unit, the, the thing that I really liked to do was, you know, if we're out doing contact drills, you know, fire and maneuver, shoot, move and communicate my job isn't to make all of those decisions. My job is to help bring up those young leaders, those officers, those senior enlisted guys, and, you know, empower them as much as I can. So what I would do is I did every, every single IAD run the entire time we we're out, wherever we were doing IADs, either it was like Fort Chaffee or uh, <laughs> AP Hill or Nyland or um, Paso Robles, you know, I would be the new guy in the platoon and uh, you know, we would, you know, contact front contact, whatever. Yeah. And then, you know, depending on how long it took for that young officer to make a call or he might have us move one way. If it was the right way, I would be quiet. If it was maybe the wrong way, I would maybe pimp him with like, Hey man, check out that piece of terrain over there. You know, what do you think about, you know, navigating around that? Or I would give him like some sort of like little, whatever. Yeah, uh, and yeah. then if he was on it, he would be like, Oh shit. I did. I, I didn't even notice that I was too focused on the, what was happening in front of me. And then he would like make the right call and we would move around. Or if he made a really bad call and kept moving this in the wrong direction, I would maybe turn back to the training cadre and be like, actually Chuck Thornton, one of those guys like, Hey Chuck, uh, Chuck, can you make this suck for us a little bit more? Yeah. <laughs> and so he did. Um, and they would put people down and like, he would like pretty much the, the enemy was just outflanking us because we were moving down the hill instead of up the hill and, you know, silly stuff like that. Um, but those were, you know, I always tried, even when I was in like more of an admin role, always tried to get back out there and, and get engaged as much as I can. But, you know, I, I, as I finished up my career, 
you know, I either was in doing operations as an operations senior enlisted guy or doing mission planning for some strategic level operation, you know, here in Hawaii, or I was doing um, combat development. I was the science and technology director as my last job here in, uh, in Hawaii at the, at the headquarters as a, so where I went out and I found uh, $16 million of other people's money to create technology that did not exist prior to today to meet the operational deficiencies that we had as a, as a SEAL team here in Hawaii. Well, that's cool. That's cool. You know, and I think one of the hard thing is for performers is the, is the evolution of the mindset, right? Being able to, to, to categorize and, and accept, Hey, this point of your career is, is, is over. And this is where you're going. And right. this is, is, is I, you have to shift that you have to let go of really like so much ego really i think in our community is 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 the biggest hurdle that hey all right my time's passed and now but what i'm doing here is every bit as critical as as the other stuff it's you know it's not as sexy or whatever as being a point shooter but you know it's still these things are imperative for the development of of our future organization right as in the teams because the teams have, are now evolving pretty dramatically, um, you know, and, and you look at like post 2012 or 13 when most, you know, operations were winding down significantly, uh, although it peaked back up, I think, in Syria, right, if I'm not mistaken. But, but you know, we're moving into a whole different time. So what's kind of your impression of, of where the teams are going uh, and then also really, you know, what advice do you have for young kids that are thinking of, they're going to come into the SEAL teams and get a bunch of hoo in Afghanistan, Iraq, you know, what, what, what type of thing can you per, in, instill in them and saying, Hey, this is the community you're coming into. It is not the community I came into back in 1995. It is a radically different place this is the community you're coming into now. And this is the mentality you need to have. So what I would say is don't live your life with regrets. <laughs> you know, if you want to be a seal, then go be a seal. If you want to be an SF guy, you want to be a Marine, you want to be in the air force, go do that. Don't, don't live your life with regrets because yeah, that sucks. No one wants to live like that. Um, but there is still, there are still, combat operations going on, you know, Africa is a hotbed of who knows what is going on there. I mean, I have, have a very good friend actually, you know, in that, in that platoon that, um, you know, where we, we were the Gabe Bacardi was in that platoon. Mm -hmm. uh, Kyle Milliken was in that platoon. He was a new guy and, you know, he, you know, he died in, in combat in Africa. Yeah, brother. You know, really? Wow. He, he, yeah, that was, uh, about four years ago, I think, yeah, four, yeah. three or four years ago. Yep. And, uh, you know, it was a guy that was like, I mean, he was, he was doing some pretty cool stuff Yeah. and, but that was like, he didn't, they didn't see the guy in the tree. It was him and one other guy mm -hmm. doing some stuff. So there's opportunity, there's combat opportunity out there. Um, uh, but be careful what you ask for, because you might not like what you find. <laughs> but don't live your life with regret. Like if you want to do something, if you, it doesn't matter what it is in your whole own life in your head. Like, you know, there was a guy that reached out to me on Instagram today. He was like, Hey man, I'm, you know, I've 
I'm out of shape and let it, what do I need to do to like get in better shape? I'm like, bro, you just need to like do the work, like write it down. <laughs> what do you, what do you want? Yeah, what yeah. do you want to do? What do you want to accomplish? Like, what are your goals? Okay. Write them down, then write down your plan and read it out loud and then go like manifest it and believe in your own self and then go accomplish whatever that thing is that you want to do. Just get out there and do it. Uh, no one is going to do it for you. Uh, you just have to go and do it yourself, but kind of going back to where the teams are going today. Um, I spoke to some guys uh, about a few weeks ago on what's, what is the, what are the transitions that are happening in the team? So the, the job that, that I came out to Hawaii to do, it's a much more strategic mission than just kicking doors on the battlefield. Really anyone can do that quite honestly. Um, the missions that we're doing now are approved that we've been doing are approved by the president of the United States. Wow. And so it's the, the level of strategic importance is critical. Uh, so that is, um, so that is a large focus of what the, the teams are looking at now. There less stuff on land, more stuff in the water. Um, which it's kind of the way it was when we came in. Right. You know, right. So SEAL team two, like they were doing like Ton eight of hours stuff. of diving a day. Uh, yeah, oh my on, God. You know, like free like, fall in and like, <laughs> yeah, like good Lord, I don't want to dive that much. That's crazy. But, um, you know, and just kicking the whole time. Their yep. combat swimmer instructor course was legit. And actually the uh, group two hired uh, Aaron Griffin, who used to run that course Wow. Uh, out of SEAL Team 2, you know, Master Chief Griffin. And uh, so, yeah. yeah, so he, so there's, and I bet he's got some, he probably has some combat swimmer stories that don't, that nothing, nothing existed. Yeah. Um, didn't really happen. But um, so anyway, I think if you want to be, if you want to be part of special operations, just go be part of special operations, you know, yeah. get in there and, and go through the selection process. And, you know, if you make it, awesome. If you don't make it awesome, you gave it a shot. If you quit, then that, that's something that you have to live with. If you were injured and were asked to leave, you can always come back. So as long as you want it, just go get it. If you don't make excuses, excuses are, you know, excuse, if you make excuses before you get started, you've already quit. Amen. So for me, you know, I, it took me a very long time to get to buds because I had these little mini quits along the way and they cost me a lot. Um, so, you know, I failed the, the physical fitness test the first time I took it. I failed it the second time I took it. Um, then, you know, I finally passed it and I got my shit together. And then I was in the fleet and my detailer, the guy who tells me, you know, where you're going to go next. My detailer said, I'm not going to let you go to buds because you're too critical to the Navy. What? <laughs> as an so, E3. As yeah. And so, um, so it, it took the Admiral, uh, Admiral Borda, the chief of Naval operations, the head guy in the Navy, the head of the Navy came to my ship in Yokosuka, Japan and had admirals call no other ship, my little ship. And I was like, right here, join the Navy. I joined the Navy to be a SEAL. I think I deserve a chance to go, but my detailer won't let me go. And uh, I, I, I think I deserve a chance. He's like, you're right. You'll be in the first class after your PRD. And uh, I had orders the next day. Ah! And then I was like, oh, oh, I, I, better, I better not fuck this up. I better. <laughs> <laughs> That's so awesome.
No, so that's how I got to go. Did I, you I, send I to me? To I told you so. Easily detail. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it, man. I love it. Well, what's funny is, and, and I, you know, as as we get these questions all the time too, you know, I get them is like you do, and and man, I, I I didn't know what I didn't know. I I just knew I wanted to be a part of this really cool organization, this team. Yep. And that was for me. That was the essence of it. I I I had. When I wasn't a part of the team in my life, I failed miserably. When I was a part of a team, I thrived. And so I, I had failed miserably. And, 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 and now I wanted to be, feel that sensation of the ultimate team. And, and that was the driving focus. And we didn't know anything about the evolutions or how, you know, what to expect or what to eat or any of this stuff that they got now. And, and it really no. comes down to, you know, you, you got to just put the work in. You got to go do it. You got to go endure the the suffering you know welcome the pain and then thrive in the adversity and 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 that really it was was the huge part for me um and for young people i think today now going in and it was awesome having you in in training because you were always motivating like (laughs) or annoying it was it was awesome like i'm just like oh my god it's so early and you're like come on let's get it was the way i i would lie to myself about <laughs> i loved it yeah it's yeah. like you lie to yourself uh, lie to me i don't care yeah someone's <laughs> got to do the lying to us i love but i was just like i remember our class man we had such a wonderful class i really you know even though mike mcgrath didn't didn't have a long career in the teams it was just his his sophistication and his and his his presence was amazing i thought you know, absolutely. Mr. D was phenomenal. I mean, my bow crew leader, Adam was incredible. And, you know, we just had this, these groups of guys and then our enlisted guys. I mean, we, we had such a, a powerful group of, 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 of men, young boys, men, young men that, that really kind of, I think, I think we, we came together pretty, pretty quickly. And I, I really felt that, you know, I, I you know, I, I was so debilitating failing pool comp and you guys going on, you know, but it was, you know, all the way up through that, I just felt like, man, that was so powerful. This, all these radical different personalities that would just thrive on each other's successes and, and, and really become inspired with each other's failures too, to help one another and make it through. It was, it was really one of the greatest experiences of my life that, that time where, you know, going all the way through to, to second phase before I got rolled out. But, you know, I, 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 I think that mentality transcends time. It transcends, um, you know, any, any prior expectation or stories. I mean, right now, I mean, there's 50 million team guys with 50 million books and 50 million podcasts and all that. And I know every single kid who wants to go listens to every single one of us and, and I, you know, there is, there are consistencies, whether it's Mike on Mike drop or it's, it's Marcus and Morgan, or, you know, it's Jason or whoever it is out there on, on, on the air. I think we're all saying very similar things that, you know, like you just said, you know, just do it, just create that goal and understand the totality of details that re- are required within the performance understand what the the basics are that make you exceptional and then do it and just knock it out. Right. And, ha- and you, you can't wait for motivation because motivation is not ever motivation will fail you. 
Matter of it, fact, I had a, I was going to do a, 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 another interview. Don't say that. And you're going to, you're going to blow my whole, my whole trip, man. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? I haven't worked out for a few days. I need to like get something in. And so I have a tire that I drag, like I've got some body armor and I like, I drag a, like a big F-150 tire behind awesome. me. And I was like, I got, I got some time get out there and like, let's just get this done. Like do the work now. Cause I will, won't have time later. I don't know what yeah. I've got going on later. I won't have time cause I never <laughs> do. So just like, so you just have to get out there and do it. You know, like whatever they call it, carpe diem, seize the day. Like, seize the day. like you have to do it like every day. Amen. Just get out there and get after it. I love it. I love it. Well, let me ask you this. I mean, obviously one of the greatest challenges for all of us now is you get indoctrinated into a particular mindset. Uh, and you obviously for 26 years rooted yourself at the deepest levels of that mindset. Well, now you're out. So is it as simple as just coming up with a goals list and executing before now as a civilian? Uh, and, and is that why, what led you to starting uh, um, Naked Warrior Recovery? So it's, I will tell you that getting out of the military was the hardest military mission I've ever been on hands down wow. without question um, because I've spent my entire adult life part of an elite organization with a fantastic mission with a bunch of amazing individuals and team. Like I would, you know, when I wake up in the morning, I know what my, my purpose is. I know what my mission is. I know what my team is. I know who my people are. I know everything. And when you get out, like I was returning emails, even though I was doing like staff work when I got out, I was returning emails the day working on projects the day before I was out of the Navy. Like, you're not going to be here anymore. You're beat it. Uh, and I'm like still on my Blackberry, like working on stuff. I'm like, oh, I, I like, I don't know what to, I, I guess here you go. In six, you can have my Blackberry back and I'm not going to send anymore. Um, so, so I was in denial about getting out. Um, and, you know, I, I suffered, you know, some pretty, pretty significant depression uh, trying to figure out what my new mission was, what my why was, what's my purpose now? Like, I don't, I don't know what my purpose is anymore, you know? And, you know, my income went down significantly from, you know, being, you know, in the teams and, you know, I have some toxic relationship, relationships out there that are like more, that were demanding more from me and I have less to give. I'm like, oh my, I don't, I don't know how to do this. Um, so I went down the road, you know, I, you know, I was, I was self-medicating with alcohol and, and, you know, things like that. And, um, you know, about a year later I was in, uh, in Virginia beach and I linked up with, with Ray. Um, we love and, you, Ray. We <laughs> love you very much. Ray, oh, my God. <laughs> Ray was, uh, special human being mentor in the seal teams. And I had lunch with him and uh, I'm like, Hey man, I'm going to go try this. I'm going to see if I can find some CBD and because maybe it will help me. Uh, and he was like, Oh, you want CBD? I've got some at the house. So he gave me some that night. I slept a little bit better. And the next morning I was a little less pissed off. And then, you know, over, over time of using it uh, you know, my, you know, I like to say that I, you know, water boils at 212 degrees. I was living in like the 210 degree range. So it didn't take much for me to like kick over and like um, into that place that you don't want to be. So what I noticed is over time, I'm like, you know, living at 210, I would like drop to like 208, 205, 200, you know, it was very gradual. It wasn't like, you know, 
you, you don't feel anything when you take CBD. It was just what I, what I felt less like over, you know, three or four weeks of taking it. I was like a little less pissed off. Like my quality of life was a little better. I had less pain, you know, I would do certain movements and I'm doing these movements and I'm like, you know, that's a stabbing pain, but now that stabbing pain isn't so bad. It's like a little duller. And, and so I stopped taking CBD and like things started coming back. I started heading back into that orange and red mm -hmm. zone. And I'm like, yep. well, let's try that again. See what happens. And so I found an opportunity to, uh, to start a CBD company and, um, you know, through, through the, that process of, of, you know, starting the CBD company, you know, working through my own issues, my own baggage that I have, I don't call it PTSD. I call it my baggage. Um, and we all have baggage and it doesn't matter who you are or what kind of warrior you are, you, you got, you got baggage. I'm telling you, you do. It doesn't matter if you're like a stay at home mom, soccer mom, uh, CEO, uh, you're an accountant during tax season, you're uh, a Navy SEAL. It does. You're the president of the United States. You, you got baggage, you got stress, you got anxiety, you got probably some pain in there. And um, so what, what I've done with, you know, naked warrior, I, it helped me find my why my why is that number 22, that, uh, you know, we have out there that more veterans die from suicide than they do from combat. The VA has come out and said it's approximately 22 veterans a day kill themselves um, every day uh, from whatever baggage they have. I've Staggered. never considered, uh, you know, Gabe, you know, he died of, a, of an overdose. They could probably, you know, that could have been prevented, you know? Um, and, you know, it comes down to, you know, the, the, the naked warrior, which, you know, has a lot of, of history, you know, in the SEAL teams, it was the first, you know, they were the predecessors to today's, today's Navy SEAL. But for me, the naked warrior is this, and we've talked about it before, is this, uh, this ego that we have where we have to, we, you know, in, in the SEAL teams or in, in, you know, in the military, we go into harm's way. We put our armor on to keep us safe from, you know, people trying to, to cause harm. Uh, and when we come back, we take our armor off and then we go shower up. We, we recover, we get ready for the next operation. We put our armor on we go out again and we come back and rinse and repeat. But in real life, we don't do that. We, you know, it could be, you know, we're always being attacked from whether let's say social media, whatever you're seeing in the media, um, a coworker, a relationship, a family member, uh, whatever, like there's like all this, you know, pain is cumulative. You know, if I poke you in the arm, you know, for five minutes, you're going to be like, that's kind of annoying, but it's not really a big deal. Um, and people don't see that poking, but you know, a week later, if I'm still poking you in the arm, you've got like, you know, bruising that goes all the way to your bone. And, you know, even just a, a gentle summer breeze blowing on that place where I'm constantly poking is, you know, going to, you know, bring you to your knees in pain. And, you know, and so what we end up doing is we wear this armor that prevents us from getting that, you know, poked. And instead of like, in, you know, from an outsider looking in, they only see like, you know, that person that's just tapping you in the arm. They're not seeing the, the cumulative effect of that. And so it's, it's very hard, you know, and also with the, you know, kind of imposter syndrome of like asking for help to get through that, Amen. you know, or being brave enough to, to take one step to 
the right so that that person isn't in reach. So they can't tap you in that same spot every day Great because analogy. they're doing it on purpose. Yeah. Um, so part of, you know, the, the naked warrior is, is getting naked. It's like taking that ego off, taking that armor off, like letting that thing that's there that you have tucked away in the back of your head, you need to let that out and expose it and like write it down and like talk to people about it. And that's just, you know, it's about, it's about physical health. It's about mental health. And, and, you know, in, it's getting naked, it's exposing yourself so you can actually start the healing process. Because if you're, if you just wear that armor around, you're wearing other people's shit around, you're just going to weigh yourself down and, and you're going to break. And so we have to, we have to learn how to get naked. We have to learn how to, you know, be the naked warrior instead of the armored up warrior. Get naked, take your armor off, take your ego off, set it in the corner and, and, um, and, and start the healing process. And for me, CBD helped me with that. It was a tool that I needed that it was a tool that I used to help me have a little bit more mental clarity. It was a tool that helped me to, uh, drink a little bit less. It's a tool that helped me to get my mind right, you know, and it was, it was a slow process, um, that was, was measurable over time. And so that's why I started Naked Warrior Recovery was to, you know, to work on that number 22. What is that? Why that number 22, but it's not only for veterans. It's not only for first responders. It's for whoever has these issues, these, uh, has this baggage, that is, you know, weighing them down and really causing, uh, you know, really poorly affecting your quality of life. That, that's a, a beautiful description of, an, of, of a reason and a goal and a purpose to start an organization and a company, man. I, it's, uh, you know, one of the things that I just love the most is, you know, getting to interview, you know, friends that have gone on and left the teams and, and gone through these very difficult transitions and, and, and rebuilt themselves, but they're not rebuilding it primarily on the structure of, 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 you know, the, the armor itself, right? Like I'm, I'm ultra badass, you know, Dave Rutherford and come and, you know, let me beat you down. Anything. It's really about that exposure of, Hey, this is what I learned. And, and this is how I've been able to cope with some things. And I didn't learn the easy way. Uh, in recovery and taking care of myself on a regular basis now is, 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 is uh, uh, tantamount to my being able to be a good father. Uh, it's critical to my being able to have a, a, a healthy, normal relationship with my fiance, right? It's, it's, it enables me to be compassionate and empathetic for my, my brothers that are still struggling with the stigmatism of, of needing help, you know? And I think it's, it's just, it's such a, beautiful description well and I, and I love the way you describe it and it's so heartfelt and well thought out man I just uh, I, I just can't thank you enough and I you know and you, I just also thank you for sending me uh, a bunch of your products and I've, I've been using them and, and again you know I've been using uh, CBD stuff for about two and a half years now and, and it's just it's uh, it's an impact it's that, like you said it's the incremental impact that just takes that edge off a little bit more and it helps my body the biggest thing is my pain. My, my tolerance, my pain, my pain, you know, has just, you know, dropped considerably now. And that's been massive for me. Cause as you know, I'm sure is, you know, that, that physical reminder of, of <laughs> your carefree days is boy, it, it haunts They're gone. You. Yeah. Right. And, and, and what I found is, you know, I like to talk about servant leadership a lot of times, but you know, what no one talks about is 
and it it's hard for me to talk about it or admit it, but really you have to take care of yourself. You know, if you don't take care of you, no one else is going to. If you don't take care of you, you can't take care of anyone else. So uh, sometimes you have to be selfish and you have to, you know, take care of you. Like you can, like, and I think this is especially true in, in parents where they just like, they give up everything to make sure that their kids have like the best possible life, you know, that they can, but they, they sacrifice their relationship with their significant other. They sacrifice, you know, work, they sacrifice, you know, you know, physical health and mental health to give everything that they have to their kids, but they're not taking me time. And I think that's really critical in, if you want to be a high performer, you got to take care of you uh, first, and then you can take care of other people in, in leadership or in business or in, you know, just as a parent or, or whatever, fill in the blank. Yeah. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. It's so difficult, you know, when, you know, when you, when you do kind of move into that sensation, like in our, in our world, right. It's all peer evaluation, right. It's all, what does the guy next to me think of my abilities? What is the guy? Is he, does he trust me first? Does he trust me? Will he go to combat with me? You know, first and foremost does. And then does he, does he acknowledge and, and respect my skill sets? Uh, is he going to tell me, do I need to improve? You know, is there an open line of communicate? You know, all this stuff that's just built into the framework of our, of our, of our culture, you know, you get out and then it's just not there. And now you have to kind of do it on your own without, you know, that feedback, which is, is incredibly difficult. And, and unless you've, you've gone through a, a program like that, that demands that level of performance and that focus and sophistication, paying attention to the details of developing skills and mastering them, it's very difficult to adhere. And when you get out and we're, we're living up to a standard that isn't integrated as much, that isn't as relevant or as profoundly, uh, um, um, this, discernible between the people that you come in contact right right is that guy squared away or is that guy schlep you know you, you don't right. you can't really see it because you know we had these open mechanisms of testing within the community and 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 that was the gauge if you, if you couldn't do your job then you're turd Beat get it. out you know yep. you're, yeah exactly and, and in the civilian world that doesn't exist and so your whole perception is is kind of inverted on how it were and and so getting back to yourself and being you know, I think objective in terms of your own recovery, your own ability to stay, uh, you know, like you said, to, to get rid of the weight, to, to shed the weight and, and be open to that type of recovery that is, is truly genuine, which is soulful recovery. You know, that's critical to all development. So, all right, well, how, what time is it? Oh man, we've been going. All right. Um, let me, uh, let me ask you this. All right. As now with where you're going, and I know you participate every year in, in the in the uh, swim in the Hudson. Um, and uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about some of the other things, including that, uh, what you're doing, and, and who you're supporting, and why? So I should have written down a list of of, of nonprofits that I'm I'm working with. But uh, so we uh, this will be. I missed the first year of swimming across the Hudson. I had a bunch of personal stuff. This was right after I got out also. And I was still trying to figure out my why and what I'm doing and, uh, and, and things like that. But there was, I missed the first year of swimming across the Hudson, but I, I swam across it last year uh, to help support the GI Go Fund. 
uh, where we raise, I think, around three hundred thousand dollars for to help with uh, homeless veterans and and first responders and and uh, and things like that up in the in the New Jersey area. Uh, I, I'll be doing that swim again this year. Hopefully, you'll come out and join us, and uh, we can connect there in person. Hell. <laughs> and, and, and let me tell you, I'm I'm not a swimmer. Uh, I can swim, but I am not a swimmer. Uh, I had you were a barge five, just like me. Five years since I got out. I don't know. Maybe it was maybe even more than that. I mean, I mean, I, you know, I live in Hawaii, so I've done some swimming uh, when I lost my surfboard out in some big surf and like had to make my way back in but not like I didn't swim on purpose. So I only swam like five, like training times before going out there to do that. So, wow. um, you, you certainly can do it. Uh, I, if I can do it, you can do it. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd have to get back in that swimming shape for sure, man. <laughs> Dude, I, I paddled out in some, like the first big surf we've had in a while. And, and I'm with all my kids on the beach and, you know, it's probably, you know, me a little bit less than double overhead. And I got my paddle board and I'm like, I'm good. I don't have to, I just paddle. I'm good. And I paddle out and I'm like, oh, oh. and then I turn and like, I give no time for, you know, get my wind back or let anything, you know, turn paddle right in, drop in. And I'm using a surfboard leash on my, 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 oh, uh, on my yeah. paddle board. So I jump off, twing, there goes the paddle board. I'm in the, in the washing machine section and I, I, I swear to God, I had to signal for help, man. Like I had, not, I was in such bad swimming. I'm like, this is the most embarrassing. Meanwhile, my, my family is freaking out. They're like, my God, he's going to die. Nobody's reacting. And I'm like, you know, and I finally, I, you know, get my, my, my rest recovery position on my right. back and I'm slow. I'm not like going like this. I'm just waving slow. I'm like, I'm going to need some help, man. You know, I'm tired, please. And this little 16 year old kid, Gabriel from Brazil had seen the whole thing and like comes bum rushing out, grabs my board and saves my life. Meanwhile, like one of the, one of the lifeguards at Boca, one of Boca lifeguards looks at John is like, you know, he's pretty far out. It's going to take me a while to get there. Like, like, <laughs> what do you mean? He's fine. Please hurry and go get him. But my point of all that is man swim shape is swim shape and that's right. that's it man if you're not in swim shape and you're in any kind of water that's a little angry or a little fast forget it you're done man so i think i'd need a couple more than five pumps to to get ready for that swim, man, for sure. <laughs> you'd be fine all i'm right, sure of right. it um, um what else see. are so you working on other other nonprofits that i do i'm on a board uh that helps uh you know, active duty people transition to, you know, civilian life just to help give them tools. It's called Centurion uh, Military Alliance, uh, CMA. Uh, let's see what else I'm, I'm doing. So generally the way that I've, uh, an organization that I recently joined to help uh, support is called One Mile Leadership. They are doing a ride, a bicycle ride. They think they can do it in seven days. We'll see. Uh, from... Uh, from the West Coast to the East Coast. So oh, starting wow. in San Diego, uh, going to Annapolis, I believe. Seven days? Seven days. They're going to do it, you know, just have riders just nonstop going. And as soon as one guy stops, the next guy starts. And, you know, they're four-hour shifts or whatever, however their deal is. So I, I just uh, joined to support that organization. And again, these are organizations that are, you know, supporting veterans and first responders in that whole stress anxiety uh, suicide prevention, 
uh, world. Um, also support uh, Rich Graham's uh, oh. canine. Canine. Yeah. What is it? Uh, I love Rich, man. I think his stuff, Full Spectrum Warrior. If you want to see some great, innovating, tra- innovative training with somebody that's considering the totality of a battlefield perspective, check out right. Rich Graham, man. His Rich is stuff. Awesome. He, he is so, so intelligent about the way he thinks about training. One of my favorite people out there doing it by far. I love him. Love his stuff. So it's called, I think that that organization is called that his nonprofit is a home front canine where they go out and they, uh, you know, you know, veterans that are still active or, you know, active duty guys that are still active, their families are still together. They're maybe struggling. They apply and, and rich and his organization helps find a, a, a service dog. So, and they want to integrate the whole family into the service dog so that, you know, like maybe the dog is a catalyst to help keep the family together. Amen. Uh, that collective, things along those lines. Yeah. The collective effort. Yeah, so those are a brilliant. few that I'm, I'm trying to help off, you know, off the top of my head. Good. Well, Will, I got to tell you, man, it's, you know, obviously there's 50 million podcasts with team guys and I sure have done a bunch of them, but um, I just, you're the eloquence with how you describe performance, how you evaluate, um, the challenges that we face, how you approach recovery with your company. I think there's a tremendous amount of, of knowledge that you have and, I just can't thank you enough for coming on and sharing, sharing it uh, as well as just all the different things you're doing. And so, you know, just thank you. Really appreciate you coming on, man. Thanks for having me. This was, this was very cool. It's great connecting with you again. Good. Where can everybody find you? And, 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 you know, uh, and then, you know, how can they get your products and, and follow you on the internet? So on it's, I primarily do uh, Instagram at nakedwarriorrecovery.com, all one word. Uh, my website is nw-recovery. Uh, you can also type in nakedwarriorrecovery.com also. But I didn't know if people didn't want to write naked into their search engine, so I made it <laughs> nw for naked warrior-recovery. So if you write naked warrior recovery, it'll take you to my website. Well, some people write naked in their search <laughs> engine every day. <laughs> awesome. But, yeah. So yeah, that's, that's where you can primarily find me. Fantastic brother. Well, I, I may or may not see you on that swim, but I'm certainly going to uh, stay in touch and, and uh, maybe I'll have you on after that. So maybe I'll have you and Ray both on at the same time. Oh, Jesus awesome. Christ. That'd be phenomenal. <laughs> Take care, brother. God bless you, man. All right. Talk to you soon. Did I tell you, did I tell you he was positive? Did I tell you he was smart? Hell yeah, I did, man. And I got to, man, just one of the things is just so amazing to me is just, you know, from the moment when you think back where we were as kids, just young punks, right? Young, willing, young sailors who had these aspirational dreams to become a part of something that was bigger than ourselves. And, you know, I, I, I did it and I, and I made it through, but, but you know what, man, uh, my time was, was, was relatively short-lived in comparison to Will's. I mean, 26 years in the teams, he learned a tremendous amount about performance and recovery. And after listening to all the uh, really amazing things that he was a part of, I hope you get a better understand really 
of just how smart these guys are, of how how intellectual they are as how, in terms of how they approach everything they do, right? And and the fact that you know it's not easy to go from one minute where you're you know at, at the top of the pyramid in terms of the military and special operations. Uh, to where now you are a civilian, you know, you're still contracting for the government. That's good. But what are you supposed to do? Which direction are you supposed to travel? And I think, you know, our discussion was a, a great discussion. You got to hear some wonderful insight about, about who Will, Will is and, and what he's doing. And, and my favorite thing is that, you know, he, he saw a, an opportunity and, and he went for it. And he started uh, Naked Warrior Recovery. Uh, and, and man, uh, just head over to his website and that is nw-recovery.com and check out all the incredible CBD, uh, products that they have. And he's got, like he said, some really, uh, cool apparel out there. Uh, one of my favorite shirts is that he's got on the site right there is, is get naked is get naked shirt. I love that. Uh, you can go into your gym, get your get naked. You got a women's race back tank, uh, all these really cool. And what he does is he utilizes this great image, uh, from, uh, our, our frogmen heritage and, uh, the old underwater demolition teams. And those guys, you want to talk about hard as nails, hard as woodpecker lips, uh, hard as diamonds. Uh, but those cats who used to only go out on ops, uh, with a pair of swim trunks, uh, a crappy old pair of uh, fins, an old Kmart-style mask, uh, a K-bar dive knife, and 50 pounds of TNT, man. Uh, they'd go in and blow up the reefs, which surrounded the atolls of the in the, in the Pacific Theater, uh, in order uh, so the marine units could uh, pass over the outer reefs and, and land on the main beaches. And so... Uh, the frogmen of the Navy, the frogmen, and that's essentially, in case you don't know, why I call my company Frog Logic is to pay tribute uh, to the, those old frogmen who started our culture, who started uh, our mentality, who started the way the the never quit mindset. And so we're all paying tribute. And if you look at their uh, Will's logo, he's got that old frogman right on the front, in between the N and the W. I just love it, man. It just it gives me such pride when I see other team guys out there uh, really just showing respect to the people who came before us, man. Um, so, you know, I just can't thank Will enough. He's such a good human being. Uh, I have so much respect for what he's done and what he is doing, uh, all the different things he's gotten into from the Frogman Swims in the Hudson uh, to working with Ray Cash and a bunch of cool things and everybody else. Uh, he's just uh, one of those great guys. Uh, so please do yourself a favor and go over to nw-recovery.com uh, um, and support Will uh, in his business, as well as just pay attention to him on social media. He's, he's all over the place on social media, uh, so you can follow him there too. All right, man. What a sick show. I, I really enjoyed that. Also, if, uh, if you want... Remember, we're uh, working with, we have a partnership with MyMedicalImages.com, the most ubiquitous uh, uh, storage, sharing, and managing of your medical images of any platform out there with our HIPAA-protected patented technology. Uh, You too, you and your family, will never have to worry about uh, burning CDs or getting a CD or sharing a CD or sending it snail mail when you need to be able to get uh, access to your images in real time, they will be right in the palm of your hand. 
Uh, again, like I said, we have some incredible announcements that will be come out in the next uh, 60 to 90 days. One of those most recent ones is we partnered uh, with Titan FC, uh, South Florida's premier MMA uh, production company uh, led by my friend, Mr. Lex McMahon. Uh, I approached Lex about a month ago and said, hey, we would love to give every one of your fighters a free MMI account. Uh, and they have implemented that and, and we're doing good. Uh, and as a result, we're leveraging that into some other uh, great partnerships that we're going to announce in the next 60 to 90 days. That'll blow you away. But before then, man, you know, get some peace of mind. Get out there. Sign up for a My Medical Images account for you and all of your family. Uh, it normally is about $29.95 a month. But if you dial in the uh, promo code FROGLOGIC, you'll get a free account for a year. And I'm telling you, this, this technology and this ability... Uh, is incredible. I, I downloaded all my images from the VA, uh, put them on my account, and there's never been a more simple way. Uh, it, it's as simple as literally uh, texting an image, the person acknowledging they're receiving the image for HIPAA uh, accordance, or you can actually, each image comes with its own QR code, and you can simply do a QR code and share your images at any moment around the world in real time. I'm telling you, this is a game changer. So go check us out at MyMedicalImages.com. Sign up for a one-year free subscription with you and your whole family uh, uh, using the promo code FROGLOGIC. All right, I just want to uh, thank Will, man. Just uh, We've known each other a long time. It's so great to reconnect with you. I'm so proud of you. Thank you for an incredible 26-year service in the teams. Uh, it's just amazing. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Uh, it just means the world to me. Uh, I also want to thank all the other frogmen out there that are doing great things. Uh, you're really carrying on our name in, in exceptional ways, and, and I'm just proud of all of you. I'm proud to be a part of you. Thank you so much uh, for allowing me to be a part of the, the, the tradition and, and the unit itself, man. It's just a, a glorious thing for me in my life to have been a part of. I can't thank you enough. Uh, I want to thank uh, Jonna, and I want to thank my children and my parents and Jonna's family and my family and everybody out there for just uh, uh, making it through these tough times and, and doing all the things you need to do to keep your performance up and your recovery up. Hopefully uh, you'll go out there and get some uh, Naked Warrior uh, Recovery CBD oil products from Will. Um, go check those out. They're fantastic. I want to also thank uh, everybody that listens to the show. Um, as you all know, I've, I've been off social media for quite a while. I'm still on LinkedIn, but I've been off social media for quite a while, just kind of regrouping and, and getting, trying to, uh, uh, figure out which direction frog logic is going to go. But the one thing I will always and continue doing is I'm going to continue uh, getting on this microphone and bringing you interesting people that have interesting ideas, uh, that all focus around the human condition and what it means to understand it, what it means to operate within uh, the best possible framework of it, uh, and then also the things that are, are troubling to it. So that's what I do. I, I, I study the human condition in the hopes to bring people uh, uh, better information that are in order to use what I call frog logic and teaching people to embrace fear, forge self-confidence, live a team life, and to live with purpose. If you want to know more about me, go over to my website at teamfroglogic.com. If you want to look into what uh, courses we offer, check out the froglogicinstitute.com. Um, and then you can find me on Instagram only right now. Uh, hopefully that'll change here soon. There's some exciting things brewing out there. Uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, and last, I, but certainly most important of all, 
I want to thank God and Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, going through tough times, uh, part of my recovery, part of my performance regimen is my faith. And I just can't tell you how much I, I've been leaning on God and leaning on the word of Christ. Uh, and it has gotten me through. It is getting me through these very difficult times. So uh, thank you, God, and thank you, Christ. Uh, I'm eternally grateful. And all of you, God bless you guys. Hoo-yah.